Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, each cabinet minister seems to have their own plan for Brexit. I have said that I don't, I don't, I don't want a people's vote or a referendum in general. And absolute stupid scenes in Parliament. If it was one of my male colleagues on this side of the house yes, yes. that had used that expression against a woman on the front bench on the opposition, then you, sir, would take action immediately. Yes. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. Paul Bohr is here. Hello, Ned. Hi, Paul. And we've got two experts with us uh, this week. Um, Anad Menon from the UK and a Changing Europe Think Tank. Hey, Hi, Anad. And uh, Maddie Dumont-Jack from the Institute for Government. Hey, hey Maddie. Hi. Um, it's the last podcast of the year. Yeah. Because uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad uh, thing. Uh, well, no? Bad, for obviously, for our listeners, but great for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, you know, this morning we've got kind of every single cabinet minister seems to have a different uh, view of what Brexit, Brexit, Oops. Brexit. Oh, Oops. oh, that there we was deliberate. No, we're keeping that in, I think. Yeah. So um, uh, Amber Rudd last night suggested a second referendum could be on the cards, and then Andrew Leadsom this morning said that perhaps a, a managed no deal, a so-called managed no deal, was maybe what should happen if Theresa May's deal is voted down. Um, let's listen to Rudd first from Peston last night. I have said that I don't, I, don't, I don't want a people's vote or a referendum in general, but if Parliament absolutely failed to reach a consensus, I can see there would be a plausible argument for it. But I think it is incumbent on MPs to find the centre ground in Parliament and to try to find where the majority is there, because fr- quite frankly, I don't think the majority of people, let alone Brenda, want to be asked again how to vote. But they might not want to be asked uh, again to vote. But if Parliament decided that was the option, then you would have to. You, presumably, think, you would have to go with it at that point. I think you would, because there were people who will say to me, you know, um, the, the referendum was sovereign. But I would say to that is that different forms of democracy are part of that sovereignty, mm. and Parliament absolutely has a voice in this, which is why. Parliament has to reach a majority on how it's going to leave the European Union. If it fails to do so, then I can see the argument for taking it back to the people again, much as it would distress many of my colleagues. Um, so to start with, I think, Paul, I mean, are we any actually close at all to knowing what Brexit we're going to get? And it's quite a big question, but... All it is a big question. And... Why not? It's the end of the year. Yeah. Are we close to Brexit? Well, um, obviously, in terms of the time ticking away, we are, you know literally closer than we were but whether or not actually politically we're closer it's really really all going to depend on on what happens next month in the house of commons i think and we can talk about that in great detail yeah. but but um I, one thing i would just caution is someone i was it was number 10 drinks last night and the prime minister was there and looking unusually relaxed and uh, uh, very senior aides who will not be named uh, looked even more relaxed than she did and i was got talking to a few of them and the reason for their current demeanour is that actually they were quite cheered up by the DUP's sort of sanguine approach this week and uh, this mm. conciliatory tone, particularly to the Prime Minister. Uh, and we can talk about that in greater detail. But that's the one thing that struck me was they now think the DUP may come on board. And if the DUP come on board, the quote was, 
then quite a few Tory MPs fall like dominoes. Mm. Um, they still think there's a hardcore, but um, they're in a better place than they were, you know, at least two weeks ago. Do we agree with that, Anand? Do you think that I was so hoping he was going to say the reason they were so relaxed because they were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, an elderflower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd say two things. I'd say, firstly, we should just get used to the fact that we won't know what sort of Brexit we're getting even after we've left. Because actually... Yeah. Mm, Good point. We've got to negotiate the whole thing then. This is just a sort of opening act. Yeah, this is but a divorce. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think, I'm still in the position I was in last time I spoke to you, which is I kind of think they're going to get this through. I just don't quite know how. Uh, I do think the numbers look better now. Mm. I do think Christmas changes things in our politics. Who knows which way? But I think MPs are going to be faced with a lot of people down the supermarket over the family dinner table saying, can't we just sort this out and get it mm. done? Uh my sense is it'll probably still take two votes for it to happen, but what they're counting on now is losing by not that many first time. And, you know, the DUP are going to go home to a cacophony from mm. the business community, yeah. from farmers, farmers, all of whom are saying, we like this deal, what are you doing? So a lot can change over the holiday period, and I still wouldn't say this deal is dead, I'd say far from it. And we talk about actually the procedure, Maddie. So, you know, Anna's talking about maybe there's still time for two more votes. What we're we looking at from kind of its mid-January isn't it and then yeah well so today this morning um, Andrew Ledson talked about business in the new year so I think the debate is going to restart on the 9th of January it's not clear whether that's going to be using the same business motion before so whether that's two days of debate or mm. longer before the meaningful vote the following week so yes I think you know she can lose the first one bring it back relatively quickly um, and sort of win after that. But but the real problem is sort of what comes after the meaningful vote, which I think is still not really talked about enough. But getting through the meaningful vote is the first part. She's also got to pass the legislation mm. to actually implement the deal in UK law. So that's the EU withdrawal agreement bill. Now, a lot of people say, which is true, that you can pass legislation in 24 hours if you need to. But given it's going to be, it's still, it's going to be setting out in quite a lot of detail how parts of the withdrawal agreement MPs are unhappy with how they're going to actually work so I still think there are going to be quite a lot of issues around getting that passed um, which means that she you know the later she leaves it the greater pressure on MPs to get it through but I, I think you need yeah. to remember there is still more to come <laughs> so she scrapes could scrape through the actual vote but then it all gets totally screwed by the yeah, legislation itself. it could get snarled up there. And I think the, the other thing about that is the Lords are going to vote on the deal, but it's not binding on the government. Mm. But the withdrawal agreement bill will have to go through the Lords. So while the government controls time in the Commons, the Lords can table amendments, be more disruptive if they feel like some of their concerns have not been taken on board. So, um, yeah, I think even getting through the meaningful vote, I mean, the Prime Minister's not safe. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a really good point that Maddie made because, you know, time is of the essence here um, for all sides. The, the no dealers are hoping they can run down the clock, but the people who are really anti no deal, and Maddie and I talked about this briefly yesterday, mm -hmm. have got lots of weapons in their armory to stop no deal. They can amend bills, they can amend that, the withdrawal agreement bill, but they can also amend things like the finance bill. They can screw this, the estimates process, which normally comes up in February. They can look at, uh, again, I was talking to people in number 10, and they're really, really conscious of the fact that even today's immigration, new immigration bill tabled today could be, you know, really ruined and, and um, sidelined by a, a stack of amendments that could effectively wreck it and clam it up. And so 
they've got lots of things. There's the trade bill. There's there's all sorts of things. There's the healthcare bill, which they're they're all conscious of. A stack of bits of legislation, as well as the statutory instruments, all of which means that you may well they're they're actually ministers are now seriously considering. Do we sit on Fridays and Saturdays? There's only 44 sitting days left till Brexit Day. Not enough time for all this massive legislation and secondary legislation. So they might even think about. Well, they're seriously thinking about scrapping the February recess, which is quite funny because in the Lords, Maddie mentioned the Lords in the. Lords, it was for a, it's been a joke that the February recess is often called the skiing recess, right? Where every all these peers go away <laughs> on the slopes, and um, now in the Commons, uh, it looks like the Commons will have to lose its skiing re- recess as well. And I talked to one very very senior Tory MP who said, oh, "I'm so glad I booked my skiing holiday for January." <laughs> <laughs> so a proper kind of guerrilla warfare on all sides, and we've yeah. been seeing. Um, can we talk about this idea of a uh, kind of a manage no deal, Anand, which is uh, Kind of Andrea Ledson was talking about this morning. Well, what, what do they mean when they say managed? Well, they mean deal. two things, I think, and half of which makes sense and half of which doesn't. The bit that makes sense is we can start making preparations here to mitigate the impact of no deal. And that might be, you know, turning motorways into car parks or stocking up on tin foods or fridges or whatever it might be. The part that doesn't make any sense for me is the argument that we're going to drop out without a deal. We're going to pull the plug on the negotiations and the EU are going to come straight back to the negotiating table and help us out. Uh, I think that fundamentally misreads the EU's position on this. I mean, what the EU have said from the start of this process is there are three things we want to sort out before you leave. It is money, it is citizens, it is the Irish border. They are our priorities. Those priorities won't change if we decide to walk away from the table. And my suspicion is that what the EU is likely to do is say, okay, that's great. We'll help you mitigate the things that really annoy us. We don't really care about the things that just annoy you. If you want our help, come back to the table, negotiate those three things, then we can talk about the rest. Mm. And then, I mean, and some of the debate is just plain silly, isn't it? I mean, there was a senior conservative on Peston last night saying, we're going to do no deal, and then we'll sort it all out in the transition <laughs> that is <laughs> contained in the deal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and David Gork Dave, today has tweeted, hasn't he? A wonderful yeah. tweet of a little unicorn. He's him holding yeah. a unicorn. Yeah, everyone should go look at that. Everyone go on Twitter and look at David Gork being kind of very unusually publicly... Kind of not that I want to have a go at him for but the thing funny, about David Gork uh, is he's privately been funny yeah. forever yeah. but now finally he's letting himself go in public and also he's been privately you know pretty pretty tough on mm. the idea of no deal and I've he's gone public with that two people week. say in the last 48 hours uncork the Gork like it's a thing yeah yeah, yeah, he has been totally well, on court. He has been, hasn't he? And also, if we Maddie, also the idea of a second referendum, which you know there has been a bit more momentum growing behind it in the last week or so, as a potential outcome if the, the vote goes mm-hmm. down. But you know, is there time for that? How would that actually happen? Kind of in parliamentary terms, you can't just snap your fingers and have a vote, can you? No, exactly. No, um, I think within the time current, sorry, current time frame we're looking at, there would there wouldn't be time. Mm. I think we we think that that basically it will take about 21 weeks to get through it all. So you have to pass the legislation. You have to, well, you first have to test the question. So the Electoral Commission has to test the question. You have to pass legislation. Um, and then you need to have a, camp- you have to designate official campaigning groups and then have time for the campaign ahead of the vote. So if you were going to go down that route, um, you'd have to extend Article 50. Mm. Um, and that that is something that would require a unanimous agreement from the other EU member states to extend. And you'd also have to change the date of exit in the EU Withdrawal Act, which currently has it at 29th of mm. March. 2019 so it wouldn't be a straightforward process and i think the other big big issue really is what is the question and how does the referendum work so do you have a a sort of two-stage referendum where you do leave remain and then if it's leave you do deal no deal 
deal or do you do you know deal no deal remain and you do preferential voting um and given the febrile nature in the house of commons at the moment and you know and also in the house of lords you can imagine that that would become quite heated very quickly yeah. in terms of what ends up on the ballot paper i mean in the sense that they can't agree on what kind of brexit to have i don't think the kind of second referendumers if that's a phrase can agree on what referendum to have well so. yeah exactly exactly and and i think that will be that will be really challenging um if you end up in a position where you amend the question so for example you might take no deal off the ballot paper although some i've heard mps say publicly they think that that would be extremely irresponsible to put the question to the public about whether they can vote for no deal but at the same time you've got a <coughs> significant number in in the house of commons who are quite keen to pursue that option and you know there, there are some big questions about what what you end up doing with that to actually address what may what people in the country might want to vote for but also as i say the sort of numbers in the house yeah can i just add a couple of things mm. to that i mean firstly extending beyond the european parliament elections is trickier than extending up to them and mm. the the 21 weeks takes us beyond the european parliament mm-hmm. elections so that's already a problem but then you've got to think about do we want to have a referendum in july where loads of people might be away, uh, where the Remain camp have already said they're very keen to have another referendum in term time so that university students could make sure that they vote. This. I mean, there are a lot of considerations yeah. that might yeah. militate towards doing this in the autumn. At that point, does the EU really want to give us that long? They're, they're appointing yeah. a new commission in the autumn. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the message I was getting back this week, which is that actually the EU... They're very, very reluctant to allow an extension of Article 50 without knowing what it's for. Mm. It's got to have a specific reason. Um, And a few months, they think that that's not workable for a referendum and for anything else. And so you're then looking at a much longer extension and how palatable that will be to Mm. Parliament and to the voters. I mean, it's one thing saying, all right, we'll we'll delay exit day until June. Mm. It's another saying we'll delay it until June 2020 or something like that because I was talking to a former cabinet minister this week who said look what all the people's voters forget is that it's not just a question of the legislation and the 21 weeks it's a question of the fact that this is a statutory duty on the electoral returning officers and they've got to make absolutely certain that everything is pinned down on this it's taken out of the hands of parliament in some senses and it becomes a statutory function and as a result they reckon a minimum of at least a year it would take to sort out a second referendum at least a year that um, go down well <laughs> no, that, so you're not just talking about the legislation getting passed you're talking about the preparation for the vote your public publicity for the vote so it's looking quite difficult and that brings me back to the whole point of whether or not MPs are going to vote for a referendum at all. Mm. And it's true that there are, there are a few Labour MPs who are actually dead against it. Uh, yeah. are, they, are there enough of those, mm. you know, for the Tories who are in favour of it to outnumber them? Mm. I mean, it's really looking quite tricky. For, and we all talk as if a second referendum is really, there's momentum built and they've done a brilliant campaign. But do they have the numbers? And it's still unclear. Mm. And some of the chat you hear in Parliament now is of some of those MPs who... They're the ones who don't talk about it, who absolutely dread the prospect of going back to their leave voting constituency and saying, try again. Whether or not the leadership tips them a nod and a wink, even if there is a three-line whip and says, look, I fully understand if you abstain yeah. on this. Yeah. And actually, that might be proved to be the way that Theresa May gets this through. It might well be. And to be honest, that you know, it, that's the difficulty, because they won't, won't be voting for it, they'll be abstaining. Uh, and if, if Theresa May you know, sticks to her word and says that she's dead against a referendum, she'll whip against it. So... It, you'd have to bet on her for that. I think so. Obviously, it's all chaos on that. And it was kind of chaos in the Commons yesterday. Um, during PMQs, Jamie Corbyn was accused of 
um, calling Theresa May a stupid woman. And then Andrea Ledsom accused John Burko of calling her a stupid woman. And then Jeremy Corbyn denied calling Theresa May a stupid woman and said he said stupid people. And then another Tory MP accused John Burko of calling her a stupid woman. And if we listen to a clip of uh, Anna Soubry um, having a pop at Burko again over he handled the whole thing, I think we'll get a sense of kind of what was going on. I have to say this. If it was one of my male colleagues on this side of the house that had used that expression against a woman on the front bench on the opposition, then you, sir, would take action immediately. Please, would you deal with it, as you often do, Mr Speaker, in a fair way, but also from the point of view of women in this house who are fed up over decades of being abused by men? Paul... Was this? Does this matter? I mean, you know, we Corbyn denies that he said this. He says he said stupid people, not stupid women. But obviously, some people think he did say that. Yeah. Does it matter, or is it just a distraction from Look, Brexit in, and all the I stuff mean, we've been just been talking about? I'm in a real minority, which was as soon as it happened, I saw the clip. I, I definitely is undeniable. He said stupid, but I really was not convinced he said woman. But equally, then when we had the huddle afterwards, PMQs, and his spokesman told us, actually, Jeremy tells me he said people. You look at his, the, the pictures, and he didn't say people either. So you're left thinking, well, what on earth did he say? And that's the really, really odd thing about it. But we can park that, as, mm. as Des Swain said in the chamber, <laughs> in his typically in politically incorrect way. Actually, this is a question of the thought police. Who cares whether or not you said stupid woman or not? What's wrong with saying stupid woman? But actually, <laughs> which, is, which well, is not quite the Labour defence. It was uncanny, wasn't it? <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, to be honest, it's, it's relatively irrelevant, that bit. Um, and what is much more relevant is the status of the speaker mm. and what happened to his authority yesterday. Because to my mind, the person who really came out of it worst was John Burko. Because I've never seen that up close yesterday. It was really raw, being in the chamber, seeing him repeatedly have his authority challenged and him agreeing to repeated points of order he would never have agreed to previously. And him looking red-faced, him losing his voice, the fact that he knows, obviously at the back of his mind, he's used that language himself in moments of anger and possibly even worse in terms of the bullying allegation against him. So you've got him in a very, very difficult position. And why does that matter? It doesn't matter because about the politics of the individuals. It matters because of Brexit Mm. and the power he has as Speaker to call or not call various amendments. And that brings us back to what Maddie was talking about, which is procedure. And procedure is everything when it comes to, to Brexit. And it's certainly true that number 10 are acutely aware, if not relying on, rather ironically, relying on John Burkow to decide that if a series of indicative votes show which way the Commons wants to go, that then they think Burkow will take that as a as clear signal of the will of the Commons to then de- decide under his own terms, he has the discretion it, on, on the advice of the clerks, whether or not certain amendments are in scope on certain bills. And number 10 are convinced that if there's a series of indicative votes, the Speaker will decide, well, the House has decided that. I'm going to allow this. It's unusual, but it doesn't look like it's in scope on the trade bill. But I'm going to allow an amendment on mm. second referendum. I'm going to allow an amendment on X or Y. And that's why it matters, because the Speaker, despite everything... Will he now have the authority to do that? I think number 10 think hope he still does, despite the fact that they personally don't like him and the PM doesn't like him. And that, that's going to be quite interesting, um, yeah. his remit in all this. We've got... Uh, can, 
Oh, no, I was just going to say the thing that struck me watching yesterday, it really struck me powerfully, was just a palpable sense of relief on the part of people like Anna Subri that they were back with their tribe. Mm, there is a sense of that, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That all of a sudden the Tories were sticking up for the Tories, Labour was sticking up for Labour, and it was politics. And there was that sense of, wow. And, and she was just relishing it. She was getting cheered from her own backbenchers. When, when's the last time that happened to Anna Subri? Yeah. Well, that's true. Comments? I mean, it became very tribal very quickly. Yeah. I have to say, quite depressingly so. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Barry Shearman getting up at the end yeah. and saying, I've been here for 20-odd uh, years and I'm one of the longest-serving MPs. And I have to say, Mr. Speaker, you know, I mutter things mm. under my breath all the time. Silly, sod, etc. And he really, really downplayed the whole incident in a way he would never have downplayed it if it was a Tory minister Absolutely. accusing a Labour woman of being mm. a stupid woman. And that depressed me deeply, I've got to say. And it's times like this, and Burko is a very good sort of weather vane for this, where Labour MPs are on, on Burko's alleged bullying. People you'd expect should be cracking down on bullying and not cracking down on it precisely because they think Burko's on the side on Brexit. And it's utterly depressing. Mm. In a more sort of happy way, I hope, we're going to do a quiz. Um, it's about, about 2018 the year in politics. Um, basically, I'm going to tell you something that happened okay. this year. And I want you to each to guess what month that happened in. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, they're not particularly obscure things, although some of them are. Um, so, so be very impressed if you can get them. Um, this is quite obscure because you mentioned him. I'm going to read it out. Oh. So don't you remember uh, Desmond Swain fell asleep during oh, a yeah. debate on Brexit? Famously, it was picked up everywhere. It was on all the TV. Well, Clark was talking. Yeah, yeah. Ken Clark was talking. Uh, do you remember what month that was in? I'm going to move my laptop away oh. from Maddie because she can definitely... No, I... <laughs> God. Maddie, what do you reckon? Oh, this is a really good question. Um, I'm going to say... Oh, I really don't know. I'm going to go for March, but that is completely random. Mm -hmm. I reckon... I, it feels like it was just before summer to me because... Wasn't Clark? How many Brexit debates have we, have we had that really matter? <laughs> a million. <laughs> I think this is the last few weeks have just completely shifted. This last few weeks have been mad. Four thousand hours. We're so many recently. The that space I don't know time anymore. continuum has been ripped apart by Brexit debates. On, Paul, give me a um, month. I'm going to say June. Okay, March, June, and and. I was going to say, I cannot remember anything before last week. <laughs> before last uh, night. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be such a long time so to remember. Given that he said June, I'll say July. Do you know? But it was January. No way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really long time oh ago. Oh my god! That so I got shows. So you, yeah, yeah. you should get prize. Right. <laughs> so just just, right, just so making sure we're <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. It's also Bre it's Brexit related. Um, Nigel Farage. Remember he threw loads of haddock into the Thames to protest about something that was going on. Was that this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my uh, god! So uh, let's start again. We did it twice. In there was the whole boat war. Yeah, um, that was this year. Yeah. There was another one about fish. Oh, is this oh, yeah. oh, because was this about Gove and the fisheries yeah, bill? Yeah, it's all yeah, all that kind Maybe of thing. Maybe it's a fisheries bill. So, uh, what uh, by the way, happens? listener, if you can hear small children shouting in the background, that's because it's bring your kids to work day, <laughs> and we don't really care. That's fine. And they keep trying to break into the into the room. Okay, fish throwing, Maddie. When do you reckon? Well, I think it. I think it was to do with um, the like the guidelines or something. Really? I think yeah. I don't think I don't. Maybe it wasn't fisheries. So bill. I think it was something to do with something that happened in terms of what we agreed with the EU. So when they published it off, I'm going to go March again. I'm just going to stick with my uh, lucky month, March. Okay, March. Paul? I can't. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to gamble on fisheries. I'm Bill, and I'm going to say as late as November. 
Okay, March, November. You see, I don't like going last because I wanted to say March then, so I'm going to say April. <laughs> well, it was March. So hey, welcome, Maddie. Jacob Rees-Mogg had a boat and they couldn't have mooring permission or something absurd in Embankment. It was ridiculous. Okay, who remembers what month Amber Rudd resigned? Anand, go with you first this time. Oh, that's a good one. See, this proves he was bluffing when he said he wanted to go first. Okay, Anand says June. It was a Sunday, I remember. I think it was early in the year because we'd had all those resi- we'd had we'd had Damien Green sort of December and then should have reshuffle. And the next thing you know, I think it's March or February or March. I think it's quite early. We're not looking at two months, months no, are we? All right, March. So I think it was over Windrush, wasn't it? And yeah. I know that yeah. she gave... So I am doing a little bit of work on migration at the moment. She gave evidence to the select committee on in the on like the 25th of April. That oh. was wrong. So it's either April or May. So it might, I think, unless I'm wrong, you're looking at me like oh, I'm I just, actually... I wouldn't trust my face. Well, so I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go... I'm going to say April, but I think it could be May. He's looking at you in awe because you came out with dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like us and fools. It's, it's <laughs> April. We're absolutely smashing this. Well this done. Is why, this is why He's killing us. And, uh, I think I need to get off Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, um, I'm going to... Give you, um, I'll give you a couple more. Okay, another resignation. Henry Bolton. Do you remember him? Oh, my UKIP leader God. for however long it was. Yeah. A little God. bit of time. That whole thing happened. Uh, when was that? Uh, Paul, I'll go to you first. Well, on this one. Owen Bennett, lately of this parish, spotted him dining the day of his resignation or, or the night of his resignation yeah, that's in right. some club on the on the Liberal, Liberal club, club on the river. Uh, and when was that? That would have been... Oh, I'm going to go March again. Why do I like March? I think it's <laughs> early. I think it's quite early. February or March? No, I'm okay. going to go February. Okay, Paul says February. Anna? March. February, March. Maddie? That sounded definitive. I have actually no idea about this. So I'm going to go. Anna sounded so sure. I'm going to go April because clearly it was around then. It was February. <laughs> yes, oh. I got so one finally. <laughs> Okay, and then one last one. Um... Okay, I've got this long list of absolute nonsense. Another resignation, let's say. Um, when did Frank Field resign the Labour whip? That is a good one. That was over anti-Semitism in the party and so and, on. Yeah. Now, did he do that before Labour conference? I think he did do it for a Labour conference. So I think it's late summer. The whole anti-Semitism really exploded in August, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So I reckon he did it in September just before party comes or just after the whole anti-Semitism stuff. Okay, September from Paul. Anand? Anand Nulpoir Menon is now <laughs> stuck with August. Okay. And Maddie? Well, I guess I'll go October, but I do think it was earlier than that. Well, it was August oh. the, the 30th. So, oh. so Paul, you're, you're, you, were, you really it had it, the but, line but like a not quite. Fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'll stop with winner. I had a lot more, but it's going on for a long time. So, uh, okay, happy Christmas, everyone. Um, we'll leave you uh, with Labour's Dawn Butler this morning in the Commons singing her own version of the 12 Days of Christmas, but with a kind of more Labour-y, anti-austerity message. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I take this opportunity to wish you and all of the staff and everyone that works here and all the members a very Merry Christmas. And on the Christmas theme... There are five days to Christmas, will the Minister promise me? Action plans to close pay gap, end period poverty, sustainable funding for refugees, Section 106 and 40 of the Equality Act, paid leave for domestic survivors, and And no no more austerity. austerity.